You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. It truly is. I love Hebrews too. Just putting my phone on D&D. Because if I don't, it will buzz. It buzzes at all days, of all times of the day and night. I forgot last night, went to bed, and my phone's in a dark room. And then all of a sudden, you hear this buzz, and the light shines bright in the room. And, and then I incur the discipline of my bride, whom we honor today, because she's a good mama. So I encourage you to do the same. Put your phone on D&D. We've been talking about the blood of Jesus, and last week we, we stepped through kind of a basic doctrinal understanding of what the blood of Jesus does. And today I felt compelled or I felt led to bring a more practical application as to why the blood and what does, how does the blood reach into our lives and transform us? Because all across this land right now, you know, discouragement and disconnection is at an all-time high. We cannot underestimate the, the power of being disconnected on the other side of you know, what we would call lockdown and the reverberating psychological factors that have played into society. It's not just in the church. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, the, the church is, is having an issue. But you know, as I, I said either last week or the week before, you know, we've been talking to marketplace leaders who deal with people on a day-to-day basis, and everyone's pretty much the same, saying the same thing. It, with differing levels of grace. You know, the one, the one leader that I noted, and he, he, uh, he's a wealth manager uh, in the West Coast, and he has a pretty large portfolio that he manages for people. And, and his comment was, how do you do it? People are crazy right now. Now, as a you know, pastoral, you know, pastoral leader in the house of God, I would never say such a thing. But the reality is that we're, we are all in this atmosphere, in the land, in in this nation, and indeed across the nations where we are on the other side of a global event that I'm not sure any of us really thought could ever happen. And when something like that happens, it can tend to breed cynicism because that which we didn't expect, a struggle that we never thought would actually come to fruition, we had to walk through. Here's the issue, though. Cynicism cynicism is not a fruit of the Spirit. Skepticism is not a fruit of the Spirit. And so, you know, I've I've had this argument with, with pastors years ago and leaders years ago who, who were skeptical about different aspects of the move of God. And I was like, well, here's the issue. Skepticism is not a fruit of the Spirit. What, what does that lovely wedding passage say? Corinthians 13, love believes all things. At the risk of looking foolish. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No one took a bigger chance than he did. But there's, a, there's something, not, not just, sometimes we, at the Big C Church, we live with a theological understanding that the blood of Jesus is, is merely to save us from something. And I, I kind of grew up with that, that we were saved from something, and now we were just waiting for the rapture. You know, and it bred this sort of escapist mentality. As a matter of fact, I remember the days, you know, I, you know if you're older, you remember these guys. And this guy you know, popped up again, actually, a few years ago. But, uh, you know, I think the first one I remember was 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. <laughs> and, and then people literally, like, left their jobs. They, they went up to a mountain or somewhere, and they were just waiting for Jesus to come back. You know who else did that? The people that were waiting for that alien ship to come. Let's not be that. <laughs> I don't want to be that. 
I don't know if they wore white robes. I'm sure different people did that at some time. But we're not just being saved from something. That's, you know, this, that aspect of the sacrifice is the easy part in a sense. I mean, it wasn't easy for Jesus, which is why we do communion. We do communion every, uh, every morning at seven o'clock uh, online. And you guys can join in that. I invite you to join in that. We've gotten amazing testimonies from people that for the last, what, two and a half years have been receiving communion daily. And, and so when Lou was talking to me in Pasadena about, about this great communion revival, I so resonated with that because I was like, yeah, that's, that's why we're doing what we do. That's why we engage in this. That's why we're talking about the blood of Jesus because it doesn't just take us from something, it places us in something. That's what Paul was teaching the church in Corinth when he says, you've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what Romans 8.15 says, that you've been given a spirit of adoption. That means you're not an orphan anymore. You're not without a God. You're not without a spiritual father. You have been firmly placed in the household of royalty. You've been given a grace. You've been given a mercy. You've been given favor directly from God. The issue is that on the other side of grace and mercy, responsibility is always assumed. And so now we have to walk out the responsibility of royalty, which seems daunting, but really what it is, is it's reattached you to your purpose. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It reconnects you to your identity. It reconnects you to your destiny. It reconnects you to purpose. If, if there's one question that I have heard over and over and over and over again, over the years from both people in the church and people in the world, it's this, I don't know what my purpose is. When am I going to walk in my calling? Now, if you're in the kingdom, you are actually walking in your calling today. Whether you are actively doing it or not, what you do today is your calling. Where you are today is your destiny. Is it the end point? No, but Paul says, I run for the prize. I run to win. Paul, the apostle Paul in scripture, he had ambition. There was a reason why he did the things that he did. That He even says that I beat my body into submission to Christ, that there was a work that he put his hand to because he understood that there was a prize awaiting for him at the finish line, and so he ran for that prize. He ran with heaven in mind. He operated with eternity always before him so that he became like Jesus who endured all of the things that, that he endured as an apostolic father in the church of Jesus Christ for the joy set before him. He endured beatings, he endured imprisonment, he was in a shipwreck, he did all the stuff. Like his social media account would have been amazing. He'd have been like taking selfies of his back and say, yeah, this is where I got beat last night. How bad is your life? It's purpose. Hebrews 10, I'm gonna read out the English Standard Version. And, and this, I'm gonna read 19 through 22, but understand that this is the precursor to my favorite passage of scripture, my favorite verse, Hebrews 10, 39, that says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are people of faith that preserve their souls. We are, not a, we are not of those who shrink back. Right. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Paul teaching Timothy that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and discipline. And we tend to gravitate toward one. And we think that's enough. Oh, I just want to be loving. And so you got a church that's all built around the love. And then you got, you know, a legalistic church that's all built around the discipline. Well, we need to be disciplined. We need to be holy. And holy is discipline. And we've got to do the right things and modify our behaviors and cover our tattoos and quit smoking, quit drinking, do this. It's all, it's like we're backing our way into the cross thinking that we can make ourselves palatable for God when the only way to make yourself palatable to God is to stand before his face. And then you got like a prophetic apostolic church and we're all about the power. We get addicted to like manifestations and you know, we don't see that as much anymore necessarily. And, and I wanna say some of that is by design. I don't mind manifestations. I love manifestations and I never shut them down because I don't know what's in the flesh, what's in the spirit. I, you know, people are like, well, that's just a flesh. Look, I've had over 25 plus years. Well, now we're going almost on 30, almost 30 years since the spirit of God even dropped sovereignly right here in New England. 
And I'm talking about roomfuls, like massive roomfuls of people just being hit with the power of God and falling, you know, as though dead or some falling and shaking, men in suits and everything that you thought was dignified. When, when the king enters the room, just stuff happens. It's like putting your finger in a light socket. When Jesus manifests himself in our realm, when God comes in and manifests his glory, the creation can't contain it. Things blow up. It's all throughout scripture. We can deny it. We can cover it. We can try to, to fit Christianity into our worldview so that we feel comfortable and we decide what decently and orderly looks like. But you've got to go to the word to figure out what that means. David said, I will be even more undignified than this when people were criticizing him for the way that he moved when the Ark of the Covenant was being marched back to Jerusalem. I always talk about Revelation 4, that there's these four living creatures with eyes within, eyes without. They're going around the throne. The throne's blowing up into thunders and lightnings. You got 24 elders that are casting their crowns before the, the throne, and they're all saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, while the thunders and lightnings are going on. It's not like, it's not like part A, B, and C. It's the, th the, the throne is exploding, and there's all this noise, and over the noise, there's the voice of elders, and maybe even the voice of angels that are casting their crowns before before the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And it's just a noisy space, a noisy place. That's our destination. That's where we're headed. But our church, you know, or our stream, we value the power. But maybe we don't value as much the discipline you know, I know the ESV and the NIV, they say sound mind, which is nice. I feel like discipline is a good rendering of that word in the Greek because sound mind is a fruit of discipline. James says a double-minded man is unstable in, his, in all of his ways. When we walk in the spiritual disciplines, there's a great book on spiritual disciplines by Foster. When we walk out in the, the spiritual disciplines, we will have a sound mind the scatteredness of our thinking, the scatteredness of the way that we operate will congeal into a unified, uniform way of thinking within our own being in Christ that will then attach us firmly within the family of God, within the body of Christ. And now we will be rightly aligned with God, with each other. That's how we're designed to function. And so we want all of those things. We don't want to pick and choose. I want the full counsel of the Lord. I want the full measure of the spirit. And so he's not given us the spirit of fear, although the New American Standard says timidity. Because a lot of people would say, well, I'm not afraid. Well, you're timid. Well, how do you know I'm timid? Well, I can tell you're timid by the fruit of your life. Even I get timid sometimes. There's a lot of things I get timid about. I don't like to admit that because I feel like I'm a hammerhead. But when it comes to Life, there are areas of my life where I'm timid and then I could blame it on being an introvert, but how many of you know that God is not really limited by your personality type? You could take all the personality tests in, in the world. You could be an INFJ. I don't know what any of that means. To be honest. I just know I is introvert. I don't know what the rest of it means. I just know the I is in there somewhere. I did one once. I don't even remember what it is. You could do all the Enneagram stuff if you want to do. God doesn't care. He will take you and place you into a space that is outside of your personality type so that he gets the glory. You know how many introverted preachers there are out there? I don't know if everybody's really introverted or just some are just wounded. Maybe I'm introverted. I've had people say, you're not introverted. You're not introverted. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I've just been beat up so much in life that I love my man cave more than everything else. You know, we always look at houses. My wife looks at houses and, and you know, she was looking at a house. It was a, a ranch and it was nice, but there was no basement. I was like, where's my man cave? <laughs> I need something with at least like 18 inch concrete to block out everybody's soul energy. And a bomb shelter. Can I build like a, like a tornado shelter thing? I know we don't get tornadoes so much here, but all right, let's get to the word. Somebody say love. Somebody say power. power. Somebody say discipline. discipline. I want it all. That was pretty good. Okay, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, New American Standard says boldness, 
to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The blood of Jesus. What is the one thing here that it's offering us, the trait that we can take on, that we have access to, not only by the blood of the lamb, but the spirit that was poured out upon all flesh in Acts 2, it's confidence, it's boldness. And in this context, we're talking about a boldness to come before the throne of grace. Why is that important? Because constantly... Our soul is trying to help God with his job of transformation. He doesn't need your help. He just needs your obedience. What is obedience? Obedience is literally in the Hebrew, obedience simply means to hear with comprehension. That's all it means. We have this idea that obeying God means that orders given, orders received, or else. If you don't follow it, or you're gonna get whacked. You're gonna get spanked. You're gonna get zapped. You know, the bolt of lightning is gonna come down. In the Hebrew, it simply says to hear with comprehension. Why is that important? Because Romans 2.2 says that his kindness leads us to repentance or his goodness leads us to repentance. And what is repentance? It's simply taking our face and turning it back to his. And in that act, we leave the things that are behind and we focus on the things that are ahead and we allow his nature to overtake our nature. And in that we are transformed. The problem is we still stumble along the way. We still trip up along the way. And so we stop functioning in our purpose and the every day in the, what we might consider to be the mundane issues of life because we don't feel worthy to walk in his glory anymore. And we come to church on a Sunday morning or you know, a conference or an event or a prayer meeting, whatever it is, and we hold back because we know what we did last night. We know what happened last week. We know that we just had a fight with our spouse on the way to church. We know, we know, we know, but his mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for you and his love endures forever. This is what the writer is speaking to. He's saying, now you can have boldness to come before the throne of grace. Why? Because if you confess your sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive every single time. As far as the east is from the west, he cast your sin from you. And so now you're blameless, not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of where you stand before the the throne of grace. He reconnects you to purpose. And you can walk out that purpose because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Some of us, we feel like we, we've missed God or we've fallen short, we've fallen off the wagon, we've fallen off the horse, we lost our purpose, our dreams are dormant, the things, the prophetic words that were spoken over us 20 years ago, we're still wondering somewhere in the back of our mind in the midst of the cloud of confusion that we're living in and we're saying, where are you, God? What happened, God? And God is saying, I'm right here. My mercy's new every morning. It's just time to get back in the saddle again. That's what the blood of Jesus does. And there's great excuse breakers all over scripture. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness according to your knowledge in him. What, according to what? Because you know him, because you know his name, because you said yes to Jesus, there is an impartation of divine power upon your life that is already placed within you, the gifting and the activation of giftings in your heart, in your mind to do everything that you need to do in him. The blood of Jesus reconnects you to purpose, to what we would call destiny, to whatever your calling is today. Where your feet are today, there is purpose. It doesn't mean that you're always gonna stay there, but sometimes we get so focused on getting out of a situation that we're in that we're not fully vested in the kingdom where we stand right now. I'm so glad the apostles didn't do that in the prison. 
In the book of Acts, they're thrown into prison and it's midnight and what do they decide to do? They're in chains, they've been beaten. There's probably rats and you know fecal matter all over the place. I'm sure it didn't smell that great. It's, it's dark, it's, it's dank, it's, it's whatever. I mean, like roses have the, the greatest scent at night. I didn't even know that. Sometimes my wife has said that about me. Oh, your greatest scent is in the night. But it's not great as in good. It's just influential to the atmosphere. I had to. I see people shaking their head. It's been a while since I've talked about bodily functions. Let's go. Just be glad you weren't here 10 years ago. It was every single Sunday. I've matured. They're in the prison at midnight. And they're, just, they're not, you can imagine, oh, when is God gonna get us out of here? I just, I can't take this job anymore. I just, I don't wanna do this anymore. I just, I wanna go back to fishing. <laughs> I hear tent making's a good job. I'm gonna go make some tents. I'm gonna make some money. I'm gonna go back into the marketplace. This is terrible. I don't want to do this anymore. No, they had a worship service in the prison in midnight and God came down. He shook the ground. The chains fell off. The doors opened and still they didn't leave because they said, there's a purpose right here where I'm at. It's time to get back on the saddle again. I felt like I got knocked out when I got beaten. I felt like I fell off when I was thrown in prison, but God put my feet here and my bum on the ground for such a time as this, and it's for that jailer that's about to drive a sword through his own heart. Stop, wait. I gotta be honest with you. If that were me, I would be like, that's my path to freedom. My jailer's about to stab himself because he knows that he's gonna be, he's, he's gonna get the death penalty if we escape. But they didn't do that because they understood the blood of Jesus connected them to purpose, connected them to destiny. They understood that nothing, nothing comes to them that doesn't cross the Father's desk first. And so they entered into that space of worship and revelation. And even as God came down in the manifestation of his glory and the earth shakes and the chains fall off and the doors open, by revelation, they understood what was about to happen. You gotta understand it was pretty dark in that place. It's not even likely that they could see the jailer from where they were at because they were brought into the inner part of the prison. But then all the doors flew open. But love speaks a better word. Sometimes love causes you to step aside from what might be good for you to sacrifice what's good for you for the eternity of another. That's what the blood does. Your purpose, your destiny, it's where you are today. It's just not where you're going to stay forever. So the blood of Jesus, we talked about this last week, it brings what? It brings redemption. It brings reconciliation. It brings justification. I like that one. And it brings sanctification. We don't like that one as much. But redemption is what purchased us. We were under the law of sin and death. We chose sin. We, we chose a, a, as a, a humanity to cause things to come between our face and his. And we grow up with it. We still do it. We put things between our face and his all the time. We think of idols as being some graven image or we're talking about Buddha. We're talking about, you know, one of the 5,362, you know, Hindu gods. I, I don't know, there's thousands. And we think of that as being that, no, it's whatever you place between your face and his, whatever idea, whatever thought, whatever, whatever activity that you engage in, when you have lost the sense of his presence, of his grace, of his light, of his life, that becomes the idol in that moment, whatever it is. And so we're redeemed from that. We are transferred again out of that domain of darkness and we are purchased by the blood so that the accusations that come against us in the spirit realm are, are rendered null and void. We're reconciled. We're not just redeemed from something, but we are reconciled back to the Father. It's by that that we have boldness now to come before the throne of grace because we are by definition reconciled. 
Doesn't matter if you're cranky today. Doesn't matter if you mouthed off last night. You are reconciled back to the Father and you can come boldly before the throne of, of grace. Why? Because we are justified. What does that mean? That just means that in the court of law in heaven, when the enemy says, hey, look at what they did. Consider your servant, Paul David. Did you see the way that he spoke to that 11-year-old when he was playing Call of Duty? I usually have my mic off. Don't worry about it. It's the reason why I don't put a fish on the back of my car. Just in case. It's terrible. But it's true. I've blown by some of y'all when I've been late to church. You know what I mean? It's like a... I remember, I'll never forget Bob Yaska, and he was bringing a friend to church and they're in their van or whatever. And I, I'm, I mean, man, I went flying. We were at a red light and I knew he was there, but I was like, I gotta get to the church. And I flew by them and, and he's like, was that our pastor? <laughs> Five minutes later, he comes rolling. I'm already in here. He was like, did you blow up? I was like, yes, I did. There was another guy who came here years ago. And this is when I, I lived, I think it was actually when we were living with the Odell's. And uh, I don't mention his name, but I, he, I feel like he kind of cut me off. So we're at the next red light. And uh, we, were, we were driving the old Lexus at that time, but I let that thing rip. I pulled on every 265 horsepower that Toyota V6 could give me. And we took, and now, but he did too. And now we're like, run down Route 9. And I looked at him, and then I saw who it was. And I was like, that is the absolute worst person that I could be doing this with right now. But you know what? I still came boldly before the throne of grace. Maybe a little bit sheepish around the people, but I still came before the throne of grace with bold. Why? Because I'm justified. In the court of law, the blood of the lamb renders you not guilty when you say yes to Jesus. When you make him the primary authority of your life. See, the word says he sets a table before you in the presence of the enemy, but he doesn't make you eat from it. He leads with his goodness, but he doesn't make you partake of it. It's an invitation. Because the reality is humanity is the one that walked away. Jesus, if you read that creation account and you get into Genesis chapter three, God comes into the garden and for the very first time, first man, first woman hid from the face of God among a tree in the garden. He still was coming and looking for us. We hid. Now he's given us a pathway to come back, but he's not going to make you walk it. And people will say, how can, a, how can a loving God, you know, cast judgment upon people? Look, he's in his word. He says, I put before you life and death. It's the same thing we say before to our kids all the time. Just maybe not that extreme. Sometimes I want to. I was like, son, I put before you life and death. Choose wisely. He put before us goodness and evil. Why? Because it's in the world and he gives us the choice to walk toward his face or deny his existence. And I would contend, I would propose to you today that it is unreasonable to expect any being to receive one who has denied their very existence for their entire lives. I've seen parents kick their kids out of their house for less maybe still good reasons. We could debate that all day long, but he set a table before you. Would you come and eat? And then that sanctification process where we continue to walk toward his face. And what, is, what happens when we walk toward his face? His nature overtakes our nature. Genesis 17, one, one of my favorite passages of scripture. And it says, and when Abram was 99 years old, and I'm actually gonna read this out of the, the King James today. And when Abram, was 90, 90, <laughs> when Abram was 90 years old and nine, that's how they put it in the King James, just to make it more complicated. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. 
Now, if we don't understand the language, this is where we get into trouble. This is where churches and movements will, will adhere to the discipline part of love, power, and discipline. We're to have it all, but we read this and we think we're entering into a, a behavioral modification program. There was no way that Abram could be perfect. There was no cross. There was no perfect sacrifice. So what is God actually saying? He's saying this. The word before me, every time you see that in the word Hebrew, specifically with respect to God, it's the Hebrew word pena, which means the skin of the face. So you guys have heard me say this a hundred times, but it's so important because you have to understand that what God is saying to Abram, what God is saying to you today is if you walk toward the skin of my face, my nature imperatively will overtake your nature. And then you absolutely without fail will be perfect, not because of who you are, but because of who I am, because I understand if you're standing here and you're looking at me, you cannot fall back into sin while you're holding the gaze with my face. You have to walk away from me. So some people will say, well, there's no such thing as backsliding. backsliding. I've heard people say that. You backslide when you walk away from the face of God to grab hold of something that is left lesser than. That's what it is. And there is no sedentary thing. It, this is why the Lord says, I will spew you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. We, we want to stay in motion. That's the most dangerous place to be is when you're not really doing anything. You don't feel like you're moving forward. You don't really feel like you're moving back. You're not on fire. You're not in rebellion. You're just sort of there. If you're in motion, at least he can move your steps. A man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Sometimes we plan our ways to do stupid things and the Lord comes in by sovereign grace and just takes your foot and says, nah, you're not going that way. I experienced that growing up, man. I wanted to get away from God. Summer after eighth grade, I stood on my front lawn. I shook my fist at God. I said, leave me alone. I mean, I yelled. We kind of lived in a woodsy area. We had a, you know, like a 1.6 acre lot, you know, so it wasn't too foolish. But I did, I yelled out loud. Did he agree? Some people say God is a gentleman. He was never a gentleman with me. He was always, I am the Lord God. I, the Lord does what he pleases. Amen. I mean, he would let me kind of wander and dawdle and do my things. And then there were certain points in time where he just sovereignly, sovereignly moved upon me and I would shake and I would quake and I would ugly cry. Not like dainty cry, not a decently and dignified and orderly cry. I'm talking about ugly, snot-filled, gross, nasty cry. That's how I cry. I don't know how you cry. I'm sure you're all dainty and nice. But when I cry, when the beauty of the Lord hits me, it's like there's, there's no dignity here, you know, as much as I try. The Lord does whatever he pleases. And he, it, it's for his pleasure that he leads you into his goodness. He extends the invitation, but man, he really doesn't force you to do it. I just had a praying mom. And when I was like three and four years old, five years old, I accepted Jesus every day, every night, just in case. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. It was my nightly prayer. It was my, my prayer. My dad would come in with the old Bible storybook, like the old school one that still had some cool, gross pictures in it. My favorite one was Samson because his eyes were poked out in the picture. I was like, that's so cool. I'd read Samson again. I would read Samson every night. Then we do the prayer, dear Jesus. I, I, I do my. So the Lord cashed in on the prayers that I prayed, even though I tried to run away. And then you couple that with the power of a praying mom, and you're like, what am I supposed to do? That's right, that's right, that's right. Amen, praise God. Yeah, 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 Karen, Karen's clapping. She's like, yes, glory. Eighth grade. I'm hesitant to say the name, but I mean, I haven't seen this guy in like 40 years, but I'm in John Burnham's basement with cigarettes that we stole, smoking. And I get home and my mom says, what were you doing in John Burnham's basement, smoking? We went to a Baptist church, but my mom was prophetic. She knew stuff. Yeah. 
There were, um, look, there were no cell phones back then, guys. As a matter of fact, she had the phone with the 30-foot cord so that she could go anywhere in the house. Every time we walked in the house after school, it was like trying to navigate a web of cords and cables. I'm like, she went from the kitchen to the dining room to the bathroom and then back into the foyer and then back into the kitchen, all while talking to her friend that literally lived about 200 yards away. They made those cords long and they were like the curly ones and they would get all knotted up and they have to like try to undo the thing and all this. She knew. By revelation, and that wasn't the only time. I'm telling you, trying to be a rebellious teenager in a house that has a prophetic mama, what a miserable experience that was. Like I wanted to be bad. When I was four years old, my role model was the Fonz. Happy days. I'm dating myself. It was reruns at that point, guys. I love that guy. When I was four, I declared at 18 years old, I'm changing my name to the Fonz because he's got a black leather jacket, rides a motorcycle. He's cool. The chicks dig him. Yeah. Hey. I couldn't be the Fonz. I got a prophetic mother. So then I got to the place where I'm not gonna wait for her to get revelation, I'm just gonna tell her all the terrible things that I did. And I actually found that to be quite amusing. I came home from college and I started telling my mom all the awful things that I did. And she still loved me. And I realized I could tell her anything. And she's still gonna accept me. She's still gonna love me. She's still gonna nurture me. Because she knows that the Lord has plans for me. And he knows the plans for me, plans to prosper, to shalom me, and not to harm. But when he says that, he has eternity in mind. So that we can endure the momentary sufferings for the joy that's set before us. That's the example that Jesus laid. So if it was good enough, if the face of God was good enough for, for Abram, thousands of years before the cross. It's good enough for you. The blood of the lamb was poured out and the word says that his blood still cries out. It still speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And he's not just calling you to escape something. We don't, we don't walk some escapist religion. You are reconnected to purpose doesn't matter what's happened in your life. When we step up to and through the blood of Jesus, he's saying to you, get back on the saddle. The worst thing that you can do if you fall off a horse is to never get on a horse again. When I was young, I rode a bike. I started learning how to ride a bike and the bike had training wheels on it. Unfortunately, it was my sister's bike, so it was kind of pink and stuff. That was kind of weird, but that's, that's okay. So I'm riding the bike. And, you know, my brother and my sisters, they're riding their bikes, and I'm riding my bike, and I think I'm cool because I'm riding the bike, but I still got training wheels on. And for third, in, at third grade, I was, what, eight years old, and my parents bought me a, a new Huffy for my birthday. I remember sneaking down the stairs and it was all assembled and it was in the foyer. And I just looked at it, I kind of sat on it. I was like, this is my bike. But because I've been riding a bike for, for so long, I thought I had it down. So we lived in a cul-de-sac. So the next day we go up to the cul-de-sac and I get on my bike and I start pedaling and my, my dad has his hand on the, on the handlebar and I'm starting to ride. I'm like, I'm so cool, I'm riding a bike, I'm riding a bike, but then he lets go. I made it three cranks, and as I'm cranking, I start drifting to the right, drifting to the right, and boom, I fell down. Got a little scratch, bled a little bit. I wasn't sure I wanted to get back up. I wasn't sure I wanted to inflict that level of pain on myself again at eight years old. Some kids are wired for that. I mean, there's certain pain I like. I mean, I, especially as I got older, I liked pain. You know, hit me, go ahead, do it. Bring it. Now I take pain a little bit more seriously, but 
The worst thing that I could have done in that moment is not get back up on the saddle. You will fall. You will stumble. You will experience pain. You will navigate difficult issues in life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cause you to escape something. The blood speaks a better word. And today that better word is, it's time for you to get back in the saddle. You've been waiting for a ship to come in, but Jesus is saying, no, your ship is here today. It just happens to be in the midst of the storm. You can stand up in the midst of that thing and say, peace be still. It's this doctrine of, of quorum, quorum Deo. It's, it's living in the presence of God always. That we have this capacity to constantly exist, not only uh, in, in the, the, this empirical sense of the presence of God, but with an awareness of the presence of God. We live in the presence under his authority and for his glory. And when we live in his presence under his authority and for his glory, you better believe that his glory gets poured out on your life. But you can't just do it. You can't be perfect as much as we read the King James and we, we think that we're expected to modify ourselves some way that we can be perfect. You can't work your way into the good graces of God. You can't alter your behavior enough. You can't cleanse yourself enough. You can't do enough good things. There is one thing, one way, one place to stand that changes everything, and that is before the face of God. And the only way to get there is through the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Could it be that if we walk through the cross, if we say yes to Jesus today, if we walk toward the face of God, that his nature literally will overtake ours and he will perfect us, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. In this process of perfecting or making us blameless, we are restored. We are restored to relationship with God himself. We are restored to the most fulfilling purpose we could ever experience. We are restored to a path of destiny and destinies that lead toward an eternity of love, joy, and peace, and the glory of God. In the beginning, we were created and we were blessed. We were commissioned for purpose to expand the garden of influence, uh, the garden of the influence of heaven on earth, to expand and exhibit the co-laboring relationship between God and man, and to enjoy the fruits of our labor and our proximity and intimacy with God himself. In all of those things, he gets the glory. John Calvin would say, this is the chief end of man to glorify God. How do we do it? By staying before his face. By walking in obedience, what does that mean? We hear with comprehension and God is so banking on his goodness that when we hear the instruction that flows from his mouth, that we are just gonna wanna stay at the center of his will because that is the place where his goodness is most manifest in our lives. Even if we're in a prison at midnight. Expand, exhibit, and enjoy. It's time to get back in the saddle. It's time to shake the dust, shake off the chains. Man, you look down, those chains were broken 2,000 years ago. You just got to step out, step into freedom. That's what we were created for. We were created for glory. But Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everybody. But Hebrews 12.24 again says that his blood speaks a better word. You can fall a thousand times and Jesus will pick you up 1,001. His mercy is never ending. When he says, as far as the east is from the west, I cast your sin from you, that is horizon to horizon beyond the field of your vision or anyone else's. That thing, the curse of sin and death is rendered null and void under the glory of his cross, never to return again. Now we're just in this cycle of transformation and sanctification. And as we allow him to transform and as we co-labor with him to sanctify, we become more effective dispensers uh, and, and uh, exhibitors of his love, his joy, his peace, of his love, his power, and his discipline. 
His blood still speaks today. His blood says that we're freed from our past. His blood says we are invited into the presence of God. His blood says we are adopted by a good father. His blood says we no longer fear, but we operate with love, power, and discipline. His blood says we are no longer of those who shrink back. His blood says like children, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can just just rock up in there and say, oh, it's daddy's house. Daddy's sitting in his favorite chair. My dad used to come home and he had that chair, the ugly dad chair. I got an ugly dad chair, but then my wife bought a cover to put over it. That's what it means that we can, we can come and go busting into the house and say, daddy, we're here. Abba, father. That's what his blood says. And when we come boldly before the throne of grace, we recognize that, that, that his throne is brilliant. His throne is majestic. His throne explodes with the power and nature of God. His throne is a place where, we, where he continually transfers his nature to ours. And the king on the throne says, behold, I make all things new. Now come on, son. Come on, daughter. It's time to get back in the saddle again. This is that time. It's not just a word for the Bridge Metro West. This is a word for the people of God across this region, across the nation, around the world. We're hearing the entreating voice of the Spirit drawing us by His goodness and saying, would you stand? Would you rise? Would you sit upon the purpose for which I have called you? And would you release the power and the glory and the assurance of God? It's Christ in you, the hope, the absolute assurance of the glory of God on earth. You don't have a trickle of water coming out of your belly. The word says, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Release that all over this land. You've got to go in with the hammer and the sword of the Lord and break down the dams that have built up around your soul that have inhibited the river of life from flowing out of you. But you can access that thing once again. And it's not just for you. It's for the people that you encounter on. We're on a mission to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone we come in contact with. And that imprint starts with a rapid, a class five rapid river of of living water flowing out of your belly from his throne to your heart out of your belly and then from the abundance of your heart your mouth will speak the goodness of God it's time to get back in the saddle 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and we will close with this starting with verse 14 For the love of Christ controls us. Other translation says compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Hang on to verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What is he saying there? It's time to get back on the saddle. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's time to get back in the saddle again. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ in God was reconciling the word to himself, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is he saying? Get back in the saddle again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not just escaping something. We're being placed in something. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come right now. Would you begin 
to bang down the doors of our heart, God. Would you search us and know us and find anything in us that inhibits the free flow of your glory, of your grace, of your power, of your anointing. God, if we're here today and we don't know this Jesus, I'm just saying, would you kick down the doors of our heart? It's too important. We don't know what it's like to die to a Christless eternity, to be separated from your presence for all eternity. We don't know the gravity of that. But you come in spite of that and lead with your goodness. You lead with your love. You leave with your oil, the beauty of your face to cause us to turn towards you. If you're here today and you have not received Jesus like this, this is your time. And it starts with a yes. Let him occupy the thrones of your soul. You can plan your ways. He encourages you to do that, but allow him to direct your steps. So in that moment and in that time, in this place, right here and right now, would you release a fresh baptism of your love and your fire? It's time to get back in the saddle. I know it hurt yesterday. I know that you feel disconnected. I know that your vision has dimmed. Feel like your dreams have died. The prophetic words that were spoken over you in a previous season, saying, God, where is that? And he's looking at you and he's saying, Where are you? Get back in the saddle. We will ride. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.